Little Detours with Regina Brent, where we help you create a life you love out of the life you have. Today, we're going to talk with the conscious cardiologist. Dr. Terry Gordon is a nationally recognized heart specialist whose career in mainstream medicine spanned over a quarter century. He's watched over a thousand people die and frantically tried to save them and yet now says, I don't believe in death. Dr. Terry Gordon is the author of No Storm Lasts Forever, Transforming Suffering into Insight, where he shares what happened when he found himself in one of life's toughest challenges. Terry Gordon graduated from Emory University with a BA degree in psychology. He completed medical school at the Kansas City University of Medicine and Bioscience, then an internship and an internal medicine residency, and then completed his invasive cardiology fellowship at the world-renowned Cleveland Clinic and worked as a cardiologist. He's board certified in both internal medicine and cardiovascular diseases and is a fellow of the American College of Cardiology. He's retired from cardiology, but not from helping people live a heart-centered life. The doctor who spent a lifetime opening hearts now wants to open minds. Terry, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You have such a powerful story of feeling powerless and then finding a new power. And Mm -hmm. I was listening to your story a little bit. So one day you're telling your daughter about how you know, challenges help us grow. And I think the quote was, be grateful for the crap that comes your way because it propels us forward. And then the next day you get this phone call. Tell us about that call that completely shifted your life. Well, when I was talking to Maddie, our our daughter, uh, she was going through a rough time. And and that's when I said, you know, honey, we really should be grateful for the crap that comes our way because hidden within the turmoil are very powerful lessons. Um, And I share with her a quote from the Kabbalah, which is the ancient mystical text of Judaism. And in it, it says, it's the falls of our life that provide the energy to propel us onto a higher path. It's the falls of our life. And I kissed her on the forehead and left her with that thought. And then less than 12 hours later, um, I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. And that was um, that our son, Tyler, who was in school out in uh, Durango, Colorado, had been involved in a car accident. And then came the dreaded words when the caller uh, said, your son is quadriplegic. Well, you can't imagine the feeling. You know, when your kids are growing up and you're growing up and they come in a little later, they come in in a condition that you're not particularly proud of, you know, you, you, you get so worried. But you can't imagine the impact of the words when you hear your son is quadriplegic. Well, within an hour, I hastily packed a bag and had uh, was speeding up to the Cleveland airport trying to get on an overbooked direct flight that would get me there in time for Tyler's surgery. They were going to fly flight him from Durango, Colorado to Denver. And it was on the way up to the airport that I realized that I had left my wife wailing, wailing. And, and I felt so terrible because in my haste, I didn't even stopped to console her. I just, I became hyper-focused. I knew that I needed to get there to get on the airplane. And she understood that, but I I felt so badly that I I couldn't be there with her. Um, Somehow, you know, I got up to the airport. There were eight people ahead of me on this overbooked flight. And somehow I I got a a seat on the flight. I was next to a window and now I'm like a caged cat. I'm incommunicado for three hours. I didn't know if Tyler was alive, dead, brain damaged, Bleeding out, it was the worst three hours of my life. And I was on this airplane, seated next to the window, and and I was just, my mind was just in total chaos. 
I, I just, I kept saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I was surrounded. I felt like I was in this tornado and it was like dark and dank and loud whooshing sound. And I, I looked down the funnel of this tornado and it was, it was just pure blackness. And I want to tell you, it was the most frightening time of my life. And I kept saying, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. And, and, and I can't tell you, Regina, that I, that, that I, I heard the words of God, but certainly they came from deep within when God said, yes, you can. And I said, but, but I don't have the tools to do this. And then God reminded me that just the night before, I had shared some truth with my daughter, Maddie. And God said, you know, you can talk, talk pretty well, but guess what? Now you're going to have to live it. And I said, but, but how do I do this? I, I don't have, I don't know how to do this. Show me the way. And God said, look, everything is in perfect order. Even what you are experiencing right now is in perfect order. And I said, but, but, but how do I do this? What, what can I do? I need to help my family and I need to help my son so badly. And God, said the most profound thing that I have ever contemplated in my life when he said, treat this as if it was something you had chosen. Now, why would I do that? Why would I choose such a horrific injury for my son? You know, there are those that believe that we actually, we actually decide what it is we are to experience in a particular type of lifetime. And, and that decision is based on what our spirit needs to progress in its journey of, of enlightenment. And, and what happened to me over the course of the next several days was a, a, an awakening, a reawakening, if you will, to a truth, to a truth that I had long since forgotten. And that truth was to be open to everything attached to nothing. And to realize that what I was experiencing, what our family was about to experience, was purposeful. You know, it, it was just like, as I said, many religions uh, believe in this this sort of thing. I never thought in terms like that before. And and what I, I realized is that that this realm in which we find ourselves is the perfect circumstance in which we can find and discover what, what we all are seeking, and that is peace and enlightenment. And it doesn't come when life is hunky-dory. When life is cushy, we, we don't grow much. Our growth occurs in the setting of the falls of our life. Let me take you back to one of those settings. So, so And this is very powerful, what you're sharing, but I, I want to slow it down because it's, it's so powerful for you and it's so new for us. So you get to Denver, you have this incredible experience on the plane, that, that voice and this sense of peace, but you get to the hospital and, and what was it like when you saw your son? You, he's only 21 at the time. Mm -hmm. You're also, you're a parent, but you're also a doctor. So which role do you slip into? At that Boy, point? those bifurcated feelings, you know, as, as a, a physician, I knew exactly where we were going. I knew what Tyler was going to be facing uh, with it. The, the dramatic injury that he had as a father seeing his son in this ocean of suffering, just now realizing what had happened to him and what likely would, would occur from henceforth was beyond sad, was beyond painful. Another interesting thing, if you will, happened on the airplane as I was 
praying to God for help. Um, and I looked out the window and the airplane was completely encased in clouds. We hadn't yet pierced that, that, that space between the clouds and the clear blue skies, but we were completely encased in clouds. And I looked out and there were these black blotches, but there were thousands of them and they were, they were just moving all over the place. Um, and then they they became still, but they were still there the whole for at least a half an hour. So I was looking. When, when I finally got to Denver, rushed to the, the hospital, found Tyler in the intensive care unit being prepped for his surgery. Um, the surgeon, uh, Zaki Ibrahim, who, by the way, I share a birthday with, came in. He was just a soft spoken man and, and you could just feel the love inside of him. And, and he knew what we were going through and. And he said to me, would you like to see the, the MRI? And the doctor in me said yes. The father in me didn't want to see it, but I did anyway. And I remember kneeling next to Dr. Ibrahim uh, as he was showing me the, the films. And then he showed me the normal white color of the spinal cord when it's healthy. And then he showed me where Tyler's significant injury was. And that significant injury looked exactly like those black spots that I was seeing that stayed with me the rest of the trip. So I had a number of, um, of eye openers, if you will. Uh, you know, as I said, you know, when life is cushy and hunky dory and going well and in our lives, we're doing that. I mean, before all this happened, the day before all this happened, you know, we had it perfect. I had, had a beautiful, loving wife and four gorgeous children who were all brilliant, three of whom had finished college. Tyler was halfway through college. And and in an instant, it's it changed. It, it's like what what John Lennon said, uh, you know, life is what happens to us when we're busy making other plans. And we had made all these plans on what life was going to be like. And in an instant, that changed forever. So Terry Gordon, um, you've always had this kind of a deep sense of spirituality, it sounds like. So I wondered for your family, were you kind of their guide in this, or did they have a hard time that you had sort of made peace ahead of them almost? Well, that's interesting. And, and a lot of people ask me that question. And here, and, and we all went through it differently. Um, and the reason being is, and this is my personal belief system, is that, you know, we come here. And with a purpose. And when that purpose is fulfilled, we move on to the next purpose. And each time, hopefully, we become higher and higher elevated on that path of enlightenment until such time as as we get it all right. So each of us, there are six people in our family. We're all different. We've had different experiences. Um, So we've all embarked on this in a different way. Notwithstanding that. Um, the metamorphosis that I underwent from the conversation with God. And that, by the way, was the first conversation I've ever had with God. It was a you pretty know, powerful first conversation, Terry. It, it was. It was. You know, most of us pray to God when we want something. But, uh, you know, you, you don't hear the answer. You don't hear God until you're deep in a meditative state, rid of all the, the chaos. But it, it had such an impact on me. And, and, you know, the first book, No Storm Lasts Forever, uh, it was actually Wayne Dyer's fault. Wayne and I had, um, had fortuitously met on the beach in Hawaii and became very good friends. And, and we were actually supposed to go on a, a Hay House cruise uh, with his family and our family for the first time. This was two, 
to be two weeks after Tyler's accident. Of course, we weren't able to go to that. And that was back but in 2009, just to put this in a time perspective. 2009, yes. Uh, June, June 30th was the date of his uh, his injury. But it had such a, such an impact. And, and I started journaling at Wayne's suggestion. Uh, and I had never done that before. Because I always thought people that kept a diary and journal just really wrote it down so somebody would find it. But, you know, I my my thoughts are my thoughts. And and. I've been very reluctant in the past to share those thoughts. And and so, you know, I, I I started journaling and showed it to a couple of my friends. And they said, you know, you can't keep this to yourself. And it just kind of grew from me journaling about what we were experiencing every day to the profound things uh, that we all were experiencing and uh, and especially me. And so since then, you know, I'm, I'm st- I, although I'm retired from the, the practice of cardiology, I'm still trying to help heal hearts, uh, but in a different way. And so, it's a very fulfilling way. So before we leave your son, you, you spent, he spent many months in rehab and it's been many years now of just being paralyzed. And I wonder, uh, he lives with you and are you, you and your wife are his main caregivers? We are. We are. Mm-hmm. And um, and how has it been just as that journey kind of unfolded for you? I know it's been many years. I just wonder if you can give us just a little overview of some of what you've learned in that whole process of caring for him and and learning how to be family in a different way. Well, one of the most powerful lessons I've learned is to let go of the attachment of what I thought it should be. You know, you go through life and you have this master plan that, uh, you know, you're going to work hard. You're going to save money. You're going to enjoy your retirement. You're going to go traveling. And and in a split second, that's all gone. And I will tell you this, and it's not uh, patting myself on the shoulder. I was able somehow to get to that point where I let go of the attachment very quickly no regrets. And the reason being is that, that I believe that the stuff that happens to us is supposed to happen to us. That, that's, that's where we're learning these, these great lessons. And, and, you know, a lot of people, when they're faced with such adversity, you know, it's why me, you know, and, and a lot of people said that, you know, Terry, you, you've helped so many people, you've helped save lives of children. You don't deserve this. And the way I look at it, Regina, is yes, I do. I do deserve these gifts. And I look at all of the adversity that's come our way as a gift from God, not as a punishment from God. I mean, we're not bad people. We haven't done anything wrong. I mean, look what's happening in today's world. You think all the people that died and have died of the coronavirus are bad people deserving of death? No, God doesn't work that way. But God does give us lessons to learn. And it's our choice whether or not we decide to heed the the lesson. And if we don't heed the lesson, I believe we're going to be faced with the same dilemma over and over and over and over. Yeah, until we finally get it. So in giving, letting go of that attachment, it made it so much easier because, you know, you could say, well, look at all we're losing. Well, you know, we've had Tyler for 10 years, 11 years now um, since his accident. And there's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't thank God that he's here with me. Now, he, he may not feel the same way about being here with me, but I should love being with him. Let me pause for just a moment, Terry. We're at the halfway mark. I want to thank all of you for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett and to our guest, Terry Gordon. I know you have many podcast choices, and I'm just so grateful you chose to listen to mine. 
But Terry, I wondered what made you choose cardiology all those years ago? Why did you pick the heart? <laughs> when I was seven years old, there was a show on uh, television called Operation Open Heart. And it was about a little boy named Gussie who was about my age. And he had a big hole in his heart and he could barely walk three feet without turning blue. He'd have to squat and breathe through pursed lips. And they showed the diagnostic workup. They actually showed the operation on TV. This is 1957-58, okay? Black and white TV. They showed the operation. From that point on, get out of my way. All the <laughs> reports were on the heart. All the models that I made weren't of airplanes. They were of the physical, the human body. And, uh, you know, all my reports, like I said, were of, of the heart. And, you know, I graduated high school, went to Emory University, planning on uh, going into medicine. And um, when I got there, uh, it was my freshman year, my father was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer and was given uh, about two years to live. And uh, I didn't do very well that first year and took chemistry, general chemistry my first year and got a D in that. And the professor told me I'd never be a doctor. Well, that was a pretty hard pill to take when um, that had been my life stream. And I, I took his word for it, and I kind of lollygagged through college, but I got a degree in psychology, which I really enjoyed and still use. And then close to the end, I decided, well, you know, I like medicine, but if I can't be a doctor, maybe I'll go into uh, hospital administration. I was pretty good in business, got A's actually in business. And so I applied to the seven programs in the country uh, that offered master's programs in hospital administration. 10, 15 people per class. So it was very, very competitive. And I got turned down to all of them except for Tulane, which was the most difficult one I applied to. And I went down there for my interview. And uh, the guy was really kind of cantankerous. And, you know, when he looked at me, kind of threw my resume on his desk, he said, well, what are you wasting my time for? And I figured, you know, I wasn't going to get it anyway. So I just was very assertive. And um, at the end of the interview, um, as he was getting ready to say goodbye to me, he said, you know, just because you're not Phi Beta Kappa from uh, Emory University doesn't mean you can't come back to New Orleans. So in essence, I got the position. Well, I went back down over the summer for orientation and I was walking around the facility with the CEO of the hospital, Tulane. And we walked outside and there were these two tall buildings on either side of us where patients were. And he, he kind of looked up and said, you know, I kind of forget that there are people up there. And it was like a bolt of lightning that hit me. And I said, I can't do this. He said, what? I said, I, I can't do this. I want to be a doctor. I can't, I can't do this. And he said, you realize the opportunity you're giving up? And I said, yes, sir, sir I do. Well, I went home. My family was so upset with me, <laughs> but I knew, I knew I was supposed to be a doctor. So I took all my pre-med work over, got a 4-0, and it was, and that was history. All so in your career, you've read thousands and thousands of EKGs. You've, you've witnessed so many people dying. And it was your job to rush in and save people. But there was a patient you shared, Audrey, who completely changed the whole picture of medicine for you. You talk about this woman from South Carolina, and you're from Kentucky originally. And right. you had put in, a, I think, a defibrillator in her? I've implanted one of the original defibrillators in her. Now, she had a very, very sick heart. And in putting the defibrillator in, I expected her to, to survive maybe two years. 
10 years later, she shows up in the emergency room and the defibrillator was appropriately shocking her out of a life-threatening heart rhythm disturbance called ventricular fibrillation. And despite my efforts, I just couldn't, couldn't calm her sick heart down. And over the course of that day, she received probably 80 shocks from this device. And they were very painful because in her circumstance, uh, she was awake for each shock. Now, um, none of her family was there. They were all down in South Carolina. And so I had to make this decision with her in conjunction with them, but they couldn't get up here in time and they wanted what was best for their mother. So one afternoon, the afternoon, actually, after she arrived, she called me into her room. And as I walked in, she said, you know, Terry, I'm, I'm not afraid to die. I've actually been dying for 10 years. And I said, oh, Audrey, you know, you haven't You've been living for 10 years. And she said, no, you don't understand. I've been preparing for my death for a decade by getting rid of all the stuff that is so important. And not just the physical stuff, just the stuff that we all think is so important. She said, so I know where I'm going, but I just don't want to continue living like this. Will you turn the device off? Wow. And I said, Audrey, of course, it is powerful because as soon as I would turn that off, the very next time she would have that heart rhythm disturbance, she was going to die. And I shared that with her because she had to know that. And so I I turned the device off and um, told her how honored I'd been to be a part of her care and to be her friend. And we had this southern bond to her from being from South Carolina and me from Kentucky. It was just a beautiful relationship. And so I thanked her for that. And um, I turned to walk out of the room and she said, you know, Terry, I just have one more request. Will you hold my hand? Now, I've been around thousands of people when they die. Nobody's ever asked me to hold their hand at the moment of their death. And I said, Audrey, of course I will. So I invited the nurse out of the room. I sat down on her bed and I held her hand. And we started talking about the South and I was caressing her hand and her hand was responsive to my squeeze. It was just a beautiful, beautiful time. And I could see her heart monitor up over her right shoulder as I was talking with her, holding her hand seated on her bed. And her heart went into that chaotic heart rhythm disturbance that causes people to die. And her, her eyes rolled back and she very peacefully crossed over. And as she did so, she lost her bladder control. Now, I'm now seated in a pool of her urine holding her hand, but I couldn't move. It was so special. And I'm looking at this hand, this hand that I was just holding. And it was a hand that had the same electrolytes, the same bony structure, the same tendons. Everything in that hand was the same, except for one thing. The spirit had left the vessel. And in that split second, Because I had allowed myself to do something I had never done before. I allowed myself to feel her energy. I could feel her energy as it was swirling around me. And then it was gone. And then I looked back at the hand and the weirdest thought crossed my mind. Do you remember the movie E.T.? Oh, E.T., phone home, phone home. Yes. Right. Well, there was a scene in that movie where E.T. with his bony finger leaned over and touched a flower and ding the flower. Word. Yes. Then he touched the flower again and ding the flower came back to life. And it hit me that Audrey had just been dinged by God. Now we think we know so much in medicine. The truth is we don't know squat. We think we do, but we don't. What we do know though, is that energy doesn't die. 
it changes, it transforms, it transmutes, it goes someplace else, but it doesn't die. And that energy is there forever and ever and ever for eternity. From the moment we're dinged out of this body for eternity, that energy exists. Much like I believe that energy existed for eternity before we got dinged into this body. So if you buy that, eternity before we get dinged into the body, eternity after we get dinged out of this body, the truth is that we're here for only an infinitesimal amount of time. Not insignificant or inconsequential, but infinitesimal. And it changed my whole outlook in a split second, by the way, on my feeling of death, that there is really no such thing as death. And I'll share one other aspect of cardiology that has now reinforced that in my mind. Didn't at first. I've read thousands and thousands and thousands of EKGs, electrocardiograms. And many of your listeners may have had one. You know, they put leads on your chest, on your arms, and on your leg. Right. They measure the electrical circuitry. Okay. What I never thought about was what happens to that impulse when it's going from the heart and it's traveling at the speed of light, 180,000 miles per second. That's how fast these impulses in our heart travel from our heart to the leads on our arms where they're picked up and the EKG is written. But what I never contemplated is what happens to that energy after it hits that wrist. Does it stop? Is there a lead shield that keeps it from from progressing and, and continuing on? No. It continues on out into the universe forever and ever at 186,000 miles per second, much like the stars in the sky. Many of those stars are dead stars, but their energy is propelled in our direction. After only one minute, only 60 seconds, guess how far away your electrical impulse from each heartbeat has, has gone. 11 billion miles away. It just it, it baffled my mind that I hear I'd read all these EKGs. I'd never contemplated that before until I had this experience with Audrey. And, and you know, she she was just a beautiful soul. And, and I was so blessed to be her friend and to be her doctor. So it sounds like you're taking kind of a new role now. And you're working on a new book called No Beginning, No End. A cardiologist discovers the timeless truth. There is no such thing as death. Is this kind of your new mission to kind of spread that word? Well, you think about it. You know, what's one thing that everybody's going to do? We're all going to die. Taxes and die, right? (laughs) That's right. You know, we're all going to die. And in some form or fashion, we all have fear of that. I mean, there's some that are steeped in faith that's good for them. They've found the, 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 the peace, but there's so many people, you know, that especially in what's going on in today's world where you don't even know what, where the enemy is, the enemy is floating around in the air and somebody's uh, sneeze. You know, I I think the, the, the impact on all of us long-term is going to be a very difficult one to, to overcome. But, the joy is, and the peace is, doesn't matter. We don't die anyway. We just move on. <laughs> when you say it that way, it, it just takes the pressure off everything, Terry. It really mm-hmm. does. It does. You know, you know as I mentioned, I've, I've seen a number of people die. Usually, I was there trying to keep them from doing so. 
but there were several that made a really powerful impact, both one positively and one negatively. The the one negatively was one of the um, founding fathers of our medical school. And I was on call one night as an extra a student. And uh, there was a, a code blue in the intensive care unit. Well, I went running there. I had no responsibility. I just wanted to see it. I wanted to observe it. And it was this guy who had founded the medical school. And he was just yelling and screaming and angry. And his last words were, damn it, doctor, I told you to give me more bicarb. And then he died. And I thought, what a terrible way to die. Right. And another guy that comes to mind, name was Jim, also had a terribly sick heart. And one day he was in the hospital and he kept uh, coding. Uh, nine or 10 times in the morning and four or five more in the afternoon. Every time they'd call the code blue, we'd all go running down there. And by the time we'd get there, the nurses would have put him head down and shocked his heart back into regular rhythm. And there was very little that, that uh, I could do to offer him um, anything other than what he was experiencing now. And I said, you know, I'll be happy Jim to, to continue this, but you know, you have to know that there's just not a lot that I can do for you. So he kind of looked over his wife, who was at the head of the bed. They were holding hands. And it was as as if he was asking her what movie she wanted to go see that night. He said, well, honey, what do you think I should do? And she said, darling, we've had a great life. And I think you ought to just let God have his way. And he very peacefully died. That's how I want to die. I want to die at peace. I don't want to die angry. There are a number of religions that, that believe that the, the, the last thoughts that one has, be they positive or negative, dictate the stepping stone to where they will go to the next life and, and start all over again. So if, if, you, if you leave angry, I suspect you're going to be coming back the same way. That, that's a good enough reason to make peace with your life so you don't have to start off on a bad, bad it sure moment. Is. One. It Terry, sure I, I want to thank you so much for joining us, Terry Gordon. Wow, I could listen to you for a long time. You have so many great stories. Tell us the best way to connect with you. You have a website, drterrygordon.com? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's www.drterrygordon.com. Doctor is D-R with no period behind it. And Terry is T-E-R-R-Y. Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N. And you can sign up at the website, on the website, for my daily affirmations, uh, Whispers of the Heart. I love it. You you address people as gentles. That's so beautiful. Yeah. So you can also find links to those on my website, reginabrett.com. You know, my biggest takeaway today, Terry, is no matter what happens, look for the gift. There is a gift. So I'm going to close with your answer to this question, Terry. What is the best thing you do for yourself every day to create a life you love out of the life you have? I find the peace. And, you know, the the, the peace is there. Um, It's inside. It's always been inside and always will be inside. But it gets covered. You know, it gets covered with stuff. And and so the best way that I go through um, a day is I wake up in, in the morning with gratitude for what I've been blessed with. And I go to sleep at night and say, ah. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. And I hope that everybody listening feels a bit of a slice of that piece. Thank you. Namaste. Thanks for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett. If you want to know more about today's guest and topic, head to my podcast page at reginabrett.com.
There you can also subscribe to my email newsletter so you never miss an opportunity to be inspired. For more episodes, you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review my show so we can reach and inspire even more people. Thanks for joining us today. Now go make something possible.